Hello, and welcome back to Miss D's Lunacy Show. Thank you for listening in, and looking forward to entertaining you today. I have a few stories that are a little bit on the wackadoodle side, but of course, that's what life is all about, and that's why we care for it, and we relish and embellish it and embrace it. I'm going to tell you a little bit about myself, since I've been doing a lot of interviewing of other people who are actually probably more interesting than I am, but I want to tell you something a little bit about growing up when I was a child. My mother was an absolute professional water skier. When she was in Mexico, back in the days, they had banana skis that were made out of wood. And this woman was absolutely amazing. She could get up backwards, forwards. She could put the foot in the rope, one foot in the ski, and sort of sort of tootle around on the water. And she was photographed everywhere. And she had the most incredible figure in the world. And people were absolutely astounded at her ability to water ski. So when we were children, we learned to water ski at a very, very young age. And we had little plexiglass skis that all had our names on it so we could never argue. And we had little flower bonnets on our heads, same exact bathing suits, mummies and every, uh, my two sisters. And we would be sort of, it would be awesome for them to see three little girls and their mother water skiing out on the water. And I mean, it just looked like little ducklings out there sort of bobbing around. And so we all sort of learned to be very athletic. I was an amazing swimmer. Um, I got second in the crawl in the state of Vermont. So I was very lucky that I was extremely, extremely athletic. Which brings me to the fact that in 2008, I was trained. I would always have trainer, and I was a very, very good swimmer, and I would swim about a quarter of a mile to a mile every day with my trainer. And she decided that I should do a triathlon. Now I'm thinking, are you kidding? Do you know how old I am? She said, Dion, you're fit as a fiddle. You're going to do this. We're going to do this in six months. And I said, fine, I'm up for the task, so long as you go with me. So we started swimming in an 85-foot pool every day, and we would swim rather rigorously. And then we started swimming in the ocean, and we'd swim about a half a mile a day. And, and we were near the lifeguard of the club, so we could always make sure that nobody drowned. And we would sometimes come eye to eye with a barracuda, which was a little bit daunting. And we would, of course, walk and run because those are the three parts of the triathlon, which is bike riding, 13 miles. This is a mini one. This is not 25 miles or anything. So it consisted of a half a mile swim, 13-mile bike ride, and a three-mile run. So I'd have to train on all three levels, of course. So the swimming, we kind of done down pat. We got it down pat. I was actually head-to-head with her when we would swim in the ocean half a mile a day. So then we had to embrace the running, which I despise. But we did it, and we started to run a mile or so a day. We didn't exactly do the three miles. And then she said, well, we've got to start bike riding. And I said, well, holy moly, I've got a mountain bike with a little ringy-ding on the belt and a little basket where you would think a poodle would come out of. And I'm not about to get on anything with thinner wheels because I'd keel over. So I would go to the meetings prior to the triathlon, and I would discuss my little basket and say, well, you know, can I put my water in there? And they're like, you've got a basket, lady? Are you kidding me? And they'd look at me like I was insane because they have $3,000 bicycles, which go five to eight miles an hour, and they pedal like crazy. And my intent to do the triathlon was not exactly to uh, speed-wise to beat anybody. It was just for my own personal contentment, having trained for so long. The problem was is that we have no hills where I live, and where we were doing it, there was a 60-foot bridge up and down that not only did I have to bike up twice, but I had to run twice up and down. 
and I wasn't exactly used to the height. Well, my personal doctor, Dr. Dotson, is a triathlete of his own self, and he has pictures of himself on magazines and everything else. And so he was sort of really proud of me. And he was telling me, listen, young lady, if you're going to get yourself freaked out, he goes, go up the bridge with your bike, walk it 10 feet and go all the way back down. He said, I don't want you to have a heart attack on my shift and ruin my triathlon. I was like, oh, terribly sorry. I'll do as you say. So we line up at 6.30 in the morning in Singer Island. And there are many people, of course. I mean, I'm not aware that there's 75 women, 75 men. And so the women had the pink little hats on their head. They were drawing numbers up and down your arm so they could make sure they wouldn't lose you. And the men were going ahead. And they had obviously blue bonnets. It was quite daunting to see so many people because I'd usually done all this by myself. So it got me very nervous. So, the, so there was a very attractive fellow. I didn't know how old he was until I found out later, who sort of was the last person who turned to us and started smiling at us. And the men went off first. Thank goodness I didn't know what happened until after the end. So the men go off first, and they go do their thing, and then they set the women aside, and they let the women go off for their half-a-mile swim. Well, my God, I'm swimming with like... 30 to 60 women that are kicking like mad. I said, oh, my God, they're going to hit me in the head. I mean, because everybody's swimming as close to the buoys as possible to make the best amount of time. So that was, unfortunately, my best stroke, but I had to slow down because people were going to kick me in the head. So I run around. We swim, 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 run around. And the minute you finish swimming, you jump on your bicycle. Of course, mine is a mountain bike, as you well know, and there are no mountains here. And I'm putting my water and my little bell and my basket, and I go tootling around at about four miles an hour, and it's a 13-mile bike ride, and the police have had to close the road because you can't drive. So they're waiting around. Of course, everybody's off at, you know, 20 miles an hour, chicka-ching, chicka-ching. They look like pizza delivery people with Italian signs all over their outfits. They're all geared up, and I'm in my little shorts and T-shirt, my little club hat and I'm tootling with my little bell ringing it going pretty pictures lovely 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 sight you know while everybody's they're running for their lives so of course it takes me much longer to finish the bike ride I'm not huffing and puffing I'm having a good time all of a sudden I hear from the police the last two broads have hit the bend open the road so we were holding up the road So then I grab my fancy, fancy cheapo bike, and I start going tingling, tingling, tingling. Oh, that's finished. No, no. Then I go off and ride and start running like a crazy woman up and down this crazy bridge. So up the hill I go, 60-foot bridge. Down the bridge I go. Up the bridge I go. And actually, the more you do this, the more endorphins you get. You actually are starting to get a kick. It's almost like getting high. You start moving so fast, it's unbelievable. I made the finish line, obviously, I was not the first nor the last. I was somewhere a three-quarters in. I didn't care. And I was so excited. I swear to goodness, I could have painted an entire house at that time. The endorphin levels are absolutely extraordinary. I have to tell you, it's unbelievable. So I got my medal for my first triathlon, which actually people don't believe I did. And it was amazing. And I was never been in better shape in my entire life. In the meantime, my mother, who's an amazing athlete and who... Uh, played tennis, swam every day, and water skied until she was 75 years old. Unbelievable strength of character. I always thought of her as very fragile, but in fact, she seems to be very, very strong. Well, I have two stories that'll absolutely knock your socks off. 
We live in a place called Center Island, which is an oyster bay. And it's a beautiful, beautiful island, and most of the houses are on the water. Because most people, way back in the day, had a helicopter, had a seaplane. Because as I said, everybody's on the water, so everybody would go to New York, especially Mr. George Baker, who I think was the starter of Citibank. He would fly on his seaplane, which he flew himself, by the way, and he would go tutoring off into Manhattan to go to work every day. And it was fascinating to see all the seaplanes that would come in from people who'd worked in Greenwich or worked in New York. And when we were little, we would take a seaplane to Newport, which was marvelous because it was a 20-minute ride. And we have a dock, and so we'd all go and visit my mother's side of the family from Texas, who all had little beautiful houses, I should say, in Newport. So since I was a little girl, I've always been going to Newport, and we were absolutely fascinated. It was a beautiful way to travel. But unfortunately, most people don't have seaplanes anymore. But I think it's becoming, I think, rather more more prolific because also in the Bahamas, they're everywhere. People puddle jump all over the islands. I think it's marvelous. And there's actually a seaplane that is made with wheels so you can either seaplane it or land on a runway. How totally awesome is that? Love the new technology. I think it's fabulous. And unfortunately, over the years, there have been some celebrities that have moved into the area. We've had this house over 60 years. Billy Joel actually lives there, down the street. So he's always speeding with all of his bodyguards all over the place. And my mother walks the dog in the middle of the road. I'm amazed they haven't killed her yet because we live on a curve. And I'm thinking, oh, my goodness. So we used to wrap her in Christmas lights at Christmas time to make sure nobody would run her over because he does travel with quite company. But I have to say it's amazing how he travels. As I said, most people's houses are on the water. So he has a contract with Madison Square Garden for a year for about 31 or $33 million. God bless his heart. He's fabulous. So he leaves his house at about 6.30. Helicopter comes and picks him up on the lawn. Takes him 15 minutes to get to Manhattan to the heliport. He gets off the helicopter. His limousine is awaiting him. He goes all the way to Madison Square Garden to the private entrance. He goes up the elevator to the private quarters. They do makeup. His equipment is already all set up. His crew has already been there all day. He comes down during the appointed hour, plays his shtick, does his thing. Fabulous songs. I love them all. He's incredible. And then he finishes the show to thundering applause. He goes back upstairs, then he goes down the private elevator to his waiting limousine, brings him back to the heliport, in 15 minutes he's home. Hi, honey, what's for dinner? So talking about another Billy that I think is fabulous is Billy Crystal. He had a show way back in the day, which I adored. Now he's moved on to many things. He did Sally Met Harry, then he did The Wonderful Fellows with the Horses. I mean, he's extremely funny. And part of his early jokes were so funny. He used to say, dancing with you is like standing still, only faster. Which I used to say to everybody. Of course, they forgot that it was actually his line. I mean, they didn't know it was his. And then one of them was, you remember Coca-Cola? It is so confusing now. (laughs) Because they came out with so many brands, Zero Coke, No Coke, Sugar Coke, Free Coke. And I used to do his whole comedy stuff for about a half an hour. And I would get such giggles out of it. And I just thought those were the funniest things I've ever heard. Going back to John Barry, who was the most prolific composer in his time. Ever heard of Body Heat? Hello, he did that. Goldfinger, The Lion in Winter. He composed and wrote all of this out of Africa. Do you remember that fantastic movie and the cinematography? 
Dances with Wolves, best original score. The man was amazing. I had the pleasure to meet him. He was an absolute delight. And he lived on the island, and as he got older, unfortunately, he ended up with dementia many years ago because he unfortunately passed away in 2011. And somebody must not have been watching him very carefully. And he did live quite a ways from me. I mean, I would say maybe a quarter of a mile, maybe a little less. My mother's doorbell rings at 2 o'clock in the morning. Now, why in the world my mother knew somebody was at the door, I'll never know, because I don't think it's connected to the telephone. And she went downstairs, and Mr. John Berry was standing in his pajamas at her front door about to die of hyperthermia. He had walked, unbeknownst to himself, in the wrong house because his house was also white. So my mother did not absolutely flinch a second. She immediately brought him in, wrapped him in a blanket and called 911 and basically saved his life because had he rang a doorbell of a house that had been absolutely no tenant or anybody living or no person living in it, he would not have known how to get home. It was extraordinary how well she managed this. And he, since he was so famous, I mean, he was so wonderful, and we knew him, thank goodness, so she didn't think she was going to be burglarized, but it was quite a shock, I would assume, for anybody to find someone arriving in their pajamas at 2 o'clock in the morning. And another phenomenon happened to her that was rather frightening. My mother will be 90 in August of this year, and she's obviously a quite sturdy woman with her wits about her and great memory still. But years ago, we were very concerned that she was alone in the house at night and that she could fall and nobody would know anything that was wrong with her. So we strongly suggested, two sisters and two half-brothers and sisters, and we sort of geared up together, clanned together, and said, you must have somebody live in to check on you, Mom, because you cannot be by yourself in case anything would happen. So she finally agreed, and she hired a wonderful Filipino who loved the dog and the cat and who was basically a companion. She really didn't do much. She was very kind, and her name was Angie, and I think she'd worked for my mother for about two or three years. She was in her early 60s. I think she was 65 when this incident happened, and my mother was in her 80s, I presume. She was 82, 83, or maybe even 84. And it was about two Thanksgivings ago, and Angie came down in the kitchen early to make herself a cup of tea and play with the dog and the cat. And my mother came around 6.30, and she sees Angie on the floor. And she says, oh, Angie, how sweet you're playing with the animals. And my mother goes to the kitchen and starts making a cup of tea or something. And she turns around to Angie, who hasn't moved a muscle, and she says, well, Angie, come on. I think you should get up now. Let's make ourselves a little supper. Still no move. And my mother sort of looks at her and says, something's terribly wrong. Didn't panic, didn't shout, didn't scream as I would have. Went over, put her, fi her two fingers on her, on her pulse, felt no pulse. Said, oh my goodness, I think this woman's dead. And she called the, uh, the paramedics. And of course, there's so few incidents that happen in Santa Ryan that the police arrive, the fire department arrived, the paramedics arrived, and all of a sudden, my mother has 30 people, 30 men, sitting in her kitchen, all sort of dealing with whatever they had to deal with. And unfortunately, since the woman was dead, my mother was offering them tea, having them sit down, being very polite. I think she probably was had the most fun of her entire life. She was the only woman around 30 men. 
And I mean, I mean, I'm not trying to make fun of it, but I mean, the fact that the caretaker of the woman who was supposed to be taken care of had unfortunately passed away before the actual patient. And she was a lovely person, and I felt terrible for her daughters because my mother, of course, had to arrange everything and gave, her, of course, her children a lovely gift and everything. But I, her composure during this was, was remarkable because I would have had complete panic. And I still think that that's quite an amazing story considering she was such a tremendously good tennis player. And so, again, so again, you know, the sports seem to save our lives quite a bit, I have to tell you. And it was marvelous. So when I was building my house, after I'd finished the triathlon, I was in the middle of architectural drawings and everything, and I was building my house. And so I would work out in the morning, and I'd bring my little bag with my little sandwich, my apple, and my little brownie and whatnot to the job site, because, of course, we'd torn the house down because we didn't like it, actually. And the only thing that was left was a trailer. So I met the foreman one day, and I the only outfit you could really wear were cowboy boots, a hard hat on your head, mine said boss on it, was hysterical, and blue jeans because, you know, things were flying, dust was flying. Must have had four flat tires during the time that we were building the house. There was always a nail left on the, on the floor that, you know, popped your tires. And uh, I met the foreman. And he's, he's wearing exactly the same thing, you know, blue jeans, you know, cowboy boots, and he's kicking the dirt around. And I said to him, hello there, young man. And he said, hello. I said, my name is uh, Dion. I said, I hate cats. <laughs> and he goes, I don't like them either. And we talked. God, I haven't a clue what I was talking about. And he went back home to his wife, and she said, well, how was your day there? He said, well, I just met myself a feisty one. So he and I became best friends because I was actually quite funny and I was goofing around with them in the trailer and laughing all the time. And I got to meet all of the wonderful people who worked there. And they were some of them were Italian. I speak Italian. Some of them were Hungarian and Romanian. It's, I, I really got to meet everybody. They were absolutely so skilled in each of their their work that they did, the the the, the molding which were, of course, the Italians, and then the wonderful inlay of the tiles that was wonderful. So I would goof around all the time with them, and I'd always send them, you know, dinner once in a while and lunches and things for them to, to munch on all day. I had to be a nice lady, right? And uh, I, would, I would wear wigs sometimes so they didn't recognize me, and uh, I would sometimes... Uh, walk around with sort of stuffing of, of, of packaging and I would giggle with them and say, what do you think about my new size? And I would take the packaging just, just to be amusing because they probably would think, well, this stupid lady doesn't know what she's talking about. They'd make a big hole in your wall, you know? So I was very lucky and they were very kind to me. And I really, really enjoyed working on my house, which is for me, my second child, and it was finished with great aplomb. And my dear friend, who was Butch, whose real name was Aaron, made sure that everything went very, very well. Sadly, he passed away a year and a half later, which was quite sad to me because he was my very, very good friend. But these are some of the stories of what's happened in my life in the past. I thought you might enjoy that I would share them. And now I'm going to finish on this particular take with a very, very funny joke. So here it goes. There's a, a couple that are about to fall asleep very gently, and the woman has her eyes shut, and her husband starts to put his hand up her neck very quietly and very gently and starts to rub her side and her thigh and goes down her thigh and then goes back up her thigh and sort of touches her buttocks 
and does the whole movement again. And then she, he goes back and starts to stroke her neck and then her head and her arm. And then he goes back down the other side. Well, his wife is feeling absolutely yummy and very relaxed and is loving all this attention. And after about 15, 20 minutes of this, she's a little aroused. And she all of a sudden her husband stops. And she said, darling, why did you stop? He said, I found the remote. <laughs> I think that's such a good one. I think that's such a good one. Now, anyway, what I want to tell you is that thank you for listening to Miss T's Lunacy. And I want you not to forget that I am found on Twitter, Facebook, and iTunes. And I say to you and all of you, lead us not into temptation. We can find it ourselves. Have a wonderful day and God bless you.